Athletic Brewing's taking advantage of new rules in college athletics. BrewDog's latest push to go public and distract the population from their history. Ding dong, the tap room's dead. Which tap room? All of them. This is It's All Beer. Welcome to It's All Beer, the favorite podcast of Spuds McKenzie, the celebrity spokesdog. Sadly, she passed long before this podcast was ever created, but she was a spiritual fan at the very least, as she often enjoyed the sound of two grown men calling each other cockwaffles. And I do say she, because it turns out Spud was a female. And that fact was, fact was made awkwardly apparent on her last shoot when she went into heat, and the producer, who was known to enjoy funneling Spuds, uh, bikini model co-star, suddenly became overwhelmed at her hormonal effervescence, and had some very unnatural thoughts about the Bull Terrier, left the industry and went to a shame spiral and eventually ended up in rehab. A victim of her own success. I'm Jeremy Jones. <laughs> Tyler Zimmerman. <laughs> and you know, you know how there's the movies that would have, if they ended a scene earlier, would have been the best? That was that intro. Like, I was like, hell yeah, Spuds McKenzie. Yeah, I knew it was a female dog. Awesome. And then you just kept going. And I was like, and you ruined the introduction. Yeah, fucker. <laughs> You know what? Um, that was that was kind of how I felt when I wrote it, and um, I stand by it. I stand by it as one of those as one of those jokes that like is funny, and then ceases being funny, and then at some point in time, is he still going? Like, how much more can you ruin it? <laughs> a lot more. I actually cut a paragraph out of that before, because there are time constraints. Tyler, how are we doing today? Doing excellent. Uh, we've got some. Fun beers we're drinking today on the podcast. We've got um, the kind of core four lineup from our friend Andrew Dill over at Libco Brewing. Yeah, we got. Uh, uh, he had his. Uh, um, he had this. Uh, this his uh, uh, kind of an opening sale on uh, his four core beers. Yep. Uh, starting off with and the South of DC Cream Ale, five uh, percent alcohol by volume Cream Ale. Uh, if you're wondering about the name, it's because, according to the can, we're 30 minutes south of D.C. <laughs> yeah, cream ale. I get um, light, crisp. Yep. I mean... Corn. I was going to say, light, crisp, a little bit of corn in it. Um, you'll remember... What I'm looking for in a cream ale. Um, you'll, you'll remember... I, I, I don't know. It, it, when we talked to, uh, uh, when we talked to uh, Drew... Um, and this was oh, a few episodes back by now. Um, a few episodes. A few episodes back, <laughs> a couple months. Um, you know, when I I always ask everybody like a uh, uh, um, uh, um, Mary a uh, uh, Mary fuck kill when it comes to beer styles, and he actually surprised me when he said cream ale for Mary. Oh yeah. And so I was like cream. That's such a weird. That's such a weird. Uh, uh, I think I even probably like that's a strange style to be enamored with. But mm-hmm. I mean. It, you know, it's also one of the reasons, one of the beer styles that actually inspired the podcast name. How so? Oh, that's right. Vienna Lager, yeah, Blondale, yeah. and Cream Ale. And we, we started reading off all of it, and yeah, I yeah, just yeah. got fed up and said, fuck it, it's all beer. <laughs> so we'll be working through uh, we'll be working through his beers, the, uh, the, the Cream Ale, the Lemongrass Saison, which I'm looking forward to. Along I was going to say, the Lemongrass... Along, Saison. along with the Plum Basil Farmhouse Ale and then the IPA. I was going to say, the African Queen and her Seven Seas uh, is the lemongrass and that are the ones I'm really looking forward to because Seven Seas is one of my favorite hops. 
So, all right, let's get into it. So, Tyler, take us away. Well, we're going to the land of college athletics and uh, name, image, and likeness. So, if that made no sense to you like it did to Jeremy, let me explain. So, typically, college athletes had to be amateurs, so couldn't get paid on their own name, image, or likeness. That's one of the many ways rich people fuck over people, but oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Um, NCAA, you are terrible human beings, and I hope you get uh, a, a penile cancer. Well, the Supreme Court and a bunch of states last year all got together and basically said, well... We have no right to tell people they can't make money off their name, image, or likeness. And no one should tell them they can't do that. So we're going to make that illegal in this state. The NCAA started backpedaling real quick. <laughs> like, oh, shit. All these states and then took, tried to take it to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court roasted them in all their uh, disclosures that they... Fuck, what's the actual term for it? Um... In all their roasted, all their arguments or their so when they uh, come to their they write fuck when a Supreme Court reaches a decision right and you have the affirmations the negations and the judges all write oh their opinions yes why could I not think of <laughs> I was like dissertation <laughs> no <laughs> yeah the the yeah the yeah. the the court yeah the court opinion yes. And then you have a then you have a, a a dissenting opinion usually. Yes, uh, and basically all the <laughs> this opinion- is how the Supreme Court works, Tyler. <laughs> well, I know how it works. I couldn't like my a spark plug was broken in my brain, and it was just like you know the word, Tyler. Uh, but they basically roasted the NCAA, turning them down, holding up that every person has the right to profit off their name, image, and likeness. Once that came down, the NCAA was like, yeah, no, we were going to allow that. So uh, we we're going to do that the entire... In fact, I'm surprised. We, I'm like, uh, it, was, it was Ted. Ted over there told us not to do yeah. it. Fucking so, Ted. Ted, fucking hell, we told you. We're so, sorry. <laughs> now that there are some ground rules, like you can't have uh, an alcohol company sponsor I mean, a college I, athlete I mean, in name and image think, and likeness. I think a morality contract can still still apply. Yes. yes. But the one kind of workaround, what about a non-alcoholic beer brand? Well, Athletic Brewing decided, fuck it, we're just going to jump in. It's an article by Modern Retail. Uh, they talked to Athletic Brewing, uh, and Athletic Brewing has reached several big NIL deals with college athletes. Um, they have partnerships with Texas Longhorns running back Bijan Robinson, Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud, South Carolina women's basketball guard Bray Beal, uh, and are doing different things with NIL, so they are paying them to have them advertise their product. Uh, they are doing different Instagram posts, actually having them come on podcaster hosting uh, to talk about how they got caught up and basically made it through some of the stuff they've experienced earlier in life to get to where they're going uh athletic came out and said we always want to try to be first we're not afraid to try things and have them not turn out uh but the thing we don't like to do is sit on the sidelines um and so they began working with college athletes this last fall in mass starting with football since it was football season um and they have reached deals with at least a 
dozen college athletes and 50 professional athletes so far. Um, they vary, but the contracts usually include a photo shoot, video shoots with the players, uh, as well as promotional videos and um, the podcast without compromise, where guests share intimate personal stories. Um, and so it's kind of interesting to see Athletic really, yes, being a beer company and a brewery, but embracing their role in non-alcoholic and kind of the middle ground that it can embrace and skirt some of these rules. Well, and and I, I wouldn't even call it skirting. I wouldn't even call it skirting the rules because it's. I mean, it 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 is promoting. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, their name, Athletic well, Brewing. I was going to say so, it kind of embraces their core company ethos, where they are a very active brand. They want active people as their core customer, and um, you know, and and a and a healthy alternative to beer. Um, so I wouldn't even call it skirting the rules. It, you know, it's, this is this is a product that will appeal to beer to beer drinkers, of which college kids are among the uh, uh, most fervent. Uh, but you can you can drink a six pack of this and not tear down a lamp post and you know decorate your you can't I, you know what, you you still can do this but you don't but it won't you can't blame it on the booze <laughs> yeah I was gonna say or you know if you're done after a hard practice you can sit down have this still not gonna screw your recovery still not gonna get you in trouble and so. basically continue on from there so kind of a fun way to see. How this is going to pay off and, you know, what athletics going to be able to do being basically the only brewery that, that can. has the option. Yeah, exactly. So, Jeremy, what do we got next? Okay. BrewDog does something not completely asshole-ish news now. <laughs> I said not completely. So... Earlier this week, uh, James Watt, who, along with being a part owner of BrewDog, is also a cult leader in training and a roof fetishist, um, came out... <laughs> never going to let that one live... Never let him live it down, will you? <laughs> Listen, the guy has a thing about making out on roofs, okay? I'm not judging. I, just... I like to drink on roofs. <laughs> We've, yeah, and... and... And listen, you do you, but you're making your employees uncomfortable. <laughs> um... Uh, he, he came out and declared that he was giving away 120,000 uh, pounds worth of stock to salaried employees. Um, or, what was it, 100 million pounds yeah. of his own stock to employees. Is Co correct. Uh, he would also begin a profit-sharing model in which staff at his tap rooms and restaurants would get 50% of the profits, totaling somewhere between um, 1,000 to 3,000 pounds a year. Uh, we'll call it, it's, that's British pounds, factor in a, it's about a 1.5 conversion. Um, mm -hmm. What's interesting, well, we're going to need a minute to unpack this. Um, let's start with a stock giveaway um, and, and point out that it really wasn't a stock giveaway. As Good Beer Hunting reported on Twitter, mm -hmm. um, it wasn't like stock. Well, also to jump in, he will donate 5% of the company shares. To their 750 salaried employees for a bonus of $37,500 per employee annually for four years. So they're not getting the $120,000 worth of share options all at once. Yeah. It's 
Did you they get a fourth of it this year? You stay another year, you get another fourth. That's fair. I mean, well, now the question I could never find in there, and I missed that, but did he say what the what the what the options what the buy option was at? So the to kind of continue the follow up tweet in that thread says share options aren't share themselves. They give employees an option to obtain shares at a price. They're generally used as a tool for retention. Uh, employees often forfeit share options when they leave, or they build employee momentum towards a IPO. I didn't see. So I mean uh, the price, but I'm double checking to see if they've updated the thread. Uh, I mean, what that means essentially is so. I mean, the, the most of the new most of the stories I uh, I read on this, you know, they they kind of fought, they kind of went with what James Watt announced, saying that it was a stock giveaway, and that may or may not be true, depending. And if you're and if you're confused, uh, join the club because I had to I had to uh, sit down and do some uh, some. Uh, uh, some uh, stock uh, finance and finance 101 um, without getting too down the rabbit hole like Tyler said it's not really stock but you have the option to buy stock at a set price and in this case they'll have an option to buy stock when there is stock to buy let's mm-hmm. uh, at this point in time um, um, Brewdog is still a private company owned by uh, James Watt and his nameless partner who does nothing but keep his head down on keep his head down post things about dogs and not and na beer on on instagram and is probably hoping desperately for this whole thing to work so he can get his money and get the fuck out yep um but as but we did report like uh, uh last time is that brew dog is preparing for an ipo um, and the deal is that an employee will get to buy stock, hopefully at a lower set price than one could conceivably uh, uh, buy when when uh, uh, after the IPO hits, and turn around and sell it if the price goes way way up. Which is great, but not re- it's not really giving away stock unless the set price is zero dollars. And by the way, it might be. I don't know if you're if you've come across that yet. I was kind of looking around. Um, no, I was going to say, I'm looking at one of the links they had in here, and it basically just takes, like, a look at the, so, explaining the share options. So, using, so, I mean, this is, so this, this, by the way, is, um, is a tactic often that's, uh, is, has been used very effectively by, especially, uh, startups in the tech industry, mm-hmm. um, in order to build momentum toward an IPO. And a lot of times it will include uh, uh, stock options for pl- employees who started out there. And a lot of times these options will be zero. I mean, essentially, that which is essentially giving away. So you can buy the stock for zero dollars, which... Mm-hmm. One of the things, uh, if you have over $30,000 worth of stocks options in the UK, it looks like from the article, um, it you can then start getting taxed on it. Okay. So, um, and that's based off the, how do I phrase this? The value from when the stock was, option was granted. All right. So, um, um, and 
so uh, whether or not BrewDog is among them or so among them or not is still unclear. So whether or not James Watt is actually giving away stock or whether it, you know, it's just a, allowing them to buy stock, which and they, you know what, that could be a, a, a good thing too. bottom line. If the IPO goes the way James Watt probably thinks and hopes it will do, um, those who have options will get a hell of a payout, but that's assuming it goes the way James Watt thinks it's going to go. And to put it mildly, He's got some lofty ambitions. As we talked about back in episode 97, he's hoping that BrewDog's, BrewDog comes out at over a billion, uh, which is rare and lofty. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it does, then it looks like, yeah, they, they, they could, the people who are getting these stock options, well, if it starts out at a billion and goes up from there, then the people who own stock are looking at a, quite a lucrative payout. Um, even whether they, whether they just buy the stock, whether they just buy the stock, uh, at the price that they were contractually guaranteed to, and then turn around and sell it for a higher price, or even if they hang on to it, um, bottom line, this could be anywhere from completely worthless. If BrewDog, the IPO absolutely flops, Mm -hmm. um, to a huge payout and everything in between, but that's only for salaried employees. What got my attention was the benefits he Promised hourly employees, especially workers at his tap, tap rooms and restaurants. And hotel. And hotel. I forgot the hotel. Profit sharing and hospitality is pretty much unheard of. Yeah. And 50% of the profits is huge. And this could add up, according to some estimates, um, um, and I went, you know, to anywhere from 1200 to 4000 extra dollars a year. And see the Good Beer Hunting tweet thread uh, said an estimated boost of 37 to 6200 a year. Yeah. Which, in the service industry... Is a big chunk. Uh, my question on that is, what are the stipulations on that? Well, and that's... And, and, there, and I'm not saying there shouldn't be stipulations... Because you don't want, especially with the amount of turnover you get in hospitality and restaurant industry, you don't want to cut someone a check who worked for you for 90 days for profit sharing. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, the only thing they pointed, the only thing that they've they stipulated that I could find is that it's going to be payable twice a year, payable uh, uh, as part of their uh, pay twice a year. Okay. Um, but, but I mean, but your, your point is well-founded. The details for both of these are pretty sparse. And I think intentionally sparse. Well, and, and, and again, that may not necessarily be a bad thing. They still might be working out the details on how they want to do this and how, how, how it will best serve the employees and, or the company and anything else. Um, the, the thing that I think, I think, uh, uh, both, both you and I, I, you brought this to my attention uh, earlier this week, and you know, you sent me a text with uh, basically the, this Twitter thread, and my response was literally, "Huh," because along with that's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna need a minute with that uh, before we take that minute. Let's... And I think until uh, they actually do that first dispersion, really, we're. We're not going to know all the details. I mean, we've got... We because got, until they become publicly traded, they don't have to disclose this. I mean, we got... I got some more to unpack, but we'll, we'll just quickly jump back to the beer. We got a lemongrass saison. Get the lemon. Or lemongrass, because like that, or that herbal lemongrassy, a little bit of saison funk. Mm-hmm. 
Although it's very it's very muted in the flavor. Don't get a ton of like the saison funk, but I get a lot more of the lemongrass on the flavor. Yeah, a little bit. It's got kind of a spicy finish at the back. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, it's kind of it's it's not as dry as I feel like a like a looking for in a saison. And in defense, that could also be maybe the carbonation didn't hold up as well, well. The carbonation was a little bit light in the creamy. It looks good in the saison. But I I also feel I want my saisons super high carbonated. Right. And maybe he was going for something different or the shipping process hand canning these you do the best job you're going to. <laughs> you can't guarantee anything. And shipping across the country can right. be a pain in the ass sometimes. Uh, but overall, solid Saison. Mm-hmm. Kind of reminds me of that Saison that I did that one time for Renee's housewarming party. I don't remember that. I mean, I remember the housewarming party. Well, I remember parts of the housewarming party. <laughs> but um, um, I thought you did a pale ale. Did I do a pale ale? I, oh, you I, did, I did the pale. Ba- I did the pa- basil pale. I did... I gave you the yeast for that, and because I had done that starter for it, and it about blew your airlock off. Oh yeah, good times. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, back to the story at hand. Um, the, I mean, the, all the the details are sparse, but and they but they act but they sound great if they do even a a bit of what they're talking about. But they ring a little hollow as they completely fail to address the real issue at hand. And again. As we, we reported back in episode 89, BrewDog's problem was never how employees were compensated. Just the opposite. Or benefits. Or benefits. I mean, BrewDog has historically provided amazing benefits for its employees. Um, it's it, how they treat with, their employees with, while they're employed. It's, it's, I mean, I, I, you, you really have no quibble with, like, I mean, as far as... There, you don't, I, there's, no, uh, uh, there's not a lot of data on what, what they pay, but I'm assuming they pay... Industry. Well, I think they are a certified livable wage employer in the UK. So, so to gain that, you're paying a and they're and and decent wage. And going through this, I mean, you you when you're looking at the if you're looking at benefits of being a BrewDog employee, you're looking at like they they look good, especially in an industry where benefits are like, well, you get a beer at the end of the day. Is that yeah? <laughs> that's your that's that's your health plan, your vacation, and your retirement. So enjoy. Um, they're like, so, if you need to take the day off, we'll do it, but you're not getting paid. <laughs> no, BrewDog has always been regarded as a great place to work, so long as you're not gay, trans, or a woman that Watt finds attractive when he's half in the bag, or on a roof somewhere. Um, now, in a statement, BrewDog... Uh, if you're uh, a woman working for BrewDog, stay on ground level. Yeah. <laughs> Just, if he says he wants to show you the roof, do not go. Don't, don't go. Unless you fancy the dude, but I mean... <laughs> He's rich and he has got a Scottish accent, which I'm sure, I'm sure when he's in the, in the United States, he banks heavily on. But yeah. you can do that without being a creepy bastard around your employees. I'm just saying. Don't fuck where you eat, man. I mean, less, I mean that's your thing, but also take the metaphor where it's going to go. Um, in a statement, BrewDog said that none of these has anything to do with the allegations. Um that punks with a purpose brought forward. Punks yeah, with a, okay. Punk, punks with a, well, yeah. The, 
Um, we talked about this before, but a quick recap. Cap. Punks of the Purpose was the employee group that accused James Watt of some very ungentlemanly behavior, among other things. Um, you can go back and listen to... Founders even says that corporate speak, they don't believe. Kind of like they don't... No one believe they don't see color. I mean, <laughs> he didn't quite have the segregated printers, but... <laughs> yeah. And by, and by the way, I mean... Founders, shut the fuck up. <laughs> oh, I was just making a comment. Founders yeah. didn't. Oh, okay. It. I'm just. Yeah. I'm like them saying this uh, had nothing to do with that. Oh, yeah, I even got you. Founders says, yeah, that's bullshit. Corporate speak. Well, I mean, listen, it's that that is a that is a either you're stupid or you're lying situation. I mean, either either you are literally not reacting to this and you're doing this completely by itself, which, by the way, if you're not reacting to this and doing something, then you're stupid or you're a lying shitbag. And this is you're trying and using this to uh, obscure the you're trying to make people forget about the BBC documentary and everything that's come out since then. So it is a the intimidation of the BBC documentary. The, yeah. And yeah. the intimidation of the witnesses. Basically, this is a are you stupid or lying situation or do, how stupid do you think we are? Um, which, yeah, we're pretty dumb, but not that dumb. I mean, you and I, but the rest of the people, um, but it does ring a hollow. It does come across as a desperate gambit to try to make people forget about all those allegations as he pushes hard for an IPO that's been delayed already a year. Um, and and these also, if you're not paying attention to this when you're trying to get an IPO launched, that's already a year behind, then you're stupid. Um, but... As I also said when you first brought this to my attention, as far as desperate hollow attempts to shift the narrative go, this is a good Touché. one. I mean, yeah. I mean all, all things considered, it was kind of a, huh. I mean, that's, and it may well be effective. Um, like, we can poke holes in it, but not enough holes to sink it. And it does have the added benefit of reducing Watt's cult of personality status within the company, which we discussed earlier, might make investors a little bit tetchy. So expanding the uh, expanding the owner the 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 owner base to include most of the employees, or at least the one you know the 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 production workers, warehouse workers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, um, salaried, um, that'll help. Um, and so, and by the way, these are all typical things you do to build momentum towards an IPO. So they may not be completely wrong in that the, 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 the employee stock options may well have been in the works leading up to this. Now, I, it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me. The profit sharing at the bars, the profit, I guarantee. The profit sharing at the bars makes me go, that, that's not a, that's not a thing I don't think. I mean, it's good press. Great press. But who in the midst of all these legal fees you're having to do while also trying to launch an IPO is going to take one of your most valuable and profitable assets and cut your profit in half? Um, especially from, yeah, those that, those sources, which is some of your most profitable sources. Um, at this point in time, we just have to wait and see how it plays out. Punks with a Purpose hasn't responded to this yet. Um which, I, if I'm them, my response is, okay. <laughs> Again, because it completely fails. It's to uh, They don't acknowledge it. And also, if I'm punks with a purpose, I'm going to stay quiet until I see them successfully execute it. 
Because if they bugger it up, now you just have a whole new group of people that and, are on your side. And there and therein lies the thing. I mean, I mean, as we've stated before, they have big ambitions for this for uh, for this IPO, and if it doesn't hit the those numbers or or indeed goes south on them again these these employee stock options i don't i i, I think i even texted you i don't think there's a a put option on uh employee stock options a put option being so there most when you uh, uh get uh when you can uh you can also buy uh stock options um uh a set or a put or or a put and a put option is basically betting that the 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 uh, it's gonna tank. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing that the, those there's u- no there's that's not a usual feel of, or feature of employee stock options. I'm gonna go yeah. out on a limb. <laughs> and as an employee, I mean, I've had a cynical view of some of the companies I've worked for, but I don't know if they were like, "Hey, we want you to buy in." If I'm going to be like, yeah, I'm going to buy in, but I want to buy in as a put option because I know it's going to tank right afterwards. If it tanks too much, you're out of a fucking job. Right. And you hope you made enough on your options. I was going to say, but if you if you really did a good job on your on your uh, options, you, it kind of balances out. Uh, <laughs> Tyler, what's next? Well, we're going to dive into a little bit of the... Beer Purchasers Index uh, just came out this week. Um, and article from Craft Brewing Business. Uh, uh, Please hold while Tyler sneezes. No, nope, I got it. I or got a it. Sneeze guys <laughs> trying to get out. <laughs> That's how you know this is an authentic, uh, real production. You don't, sneezes don't die on radio. They're just... <laughs> Got it. Good. You good? Uh, you gonna get through this? So, it looks like uh, beer purchasing has started to normalize, and flavored malt beverages and uh, seltzers are still on the downward slide as of the latest BPI. So... Um, it's the fourth month in have, a row. Have we been? Have we successfully like done this in po- this podcast for the Through entire the, the entire curve of of hard seltzer? Well, I was talking to someone today, and they go, "Seltzers and that." They're like, "I was in a grocery store the other day." They're like, "Seltzers and that are are the new wine coolers." They're like, "Look at the flavors of seltzer. It's like lemonade infused. This blah blah blah. Oh, hard tea infused. This blah blah blah." And it's like the days of seeing White Claw release just a new straight up flavor, <laughs> gone. You see the White Claw Surf where it's a blend of these two flavors. <laughs> you got the fucking Truly release something that you can hook on to two cans of Truly to blend the flavors and fucking chug it. Oh, you gotta be shitting me. Nope. Okay. I, th- I think they become a victim of their own success. Oh. Dirt. 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 Not quite too big to fail, but think they are, and just... I mean, at some point in time, it's, it sounds... I haven't paid attention to hard seltzer, but it sounds like they just got a bunch of people like... Like, just like, let's come up with more ideas, man. Uh, let's take um, pomegranate and iced tea and chalk. And Because to them, the plateauing is dying. When I'm like, you're a maturing brand, eventually it's going to kind of plateau, and you just got to fight for that extra 1% or 2% growth. 
talk. Yeah, listen, listen to us, the you know people who represent like pretty much craft like, beer. beer. Yeah, that curve levels out. You don't get double digit growth every year for eternity. That shit has to stop. Yep. <laughs> uh, so the National Beer Wholesalers Association uh, are show is the one who puts out the beer purchasers index. So for April 2022 shows a total beer reading of 55 uh, and an at-risk inventory reading of 47. Um, So at-risk inventory is falling below 50 uh, as they head into the second quarter. Um, If you're like, what the fuck does 50 mean? Basically, above 50 means a growing category. Below 50 means a shrinking category. Um, compared to... They put out a nice little chart. Compared to last year in April. Everything's kind of yeah. basically down compared to last year in April. Uh, imports being the closest. Uh, but... Since we're primarily craft beer, uh, last year, April 2021, craft beer was above 50. This year, craft beer just below 50. So barely shrinking. Uh, but if you take a look, your FMB hard seltzer was almost at 100. Holy shit. And below craft in the below 50. Um, so with this here, uh, let me see. Craft index is at 48. Uh, last year it was at 64. So pretty substantial drop. Uh, I think part of it is just the market starting to correct itself. Last year we were still seeing killer off-prem numbers where on-prems now starting to ramp back up across the country. Uh, so I be surprised if April 2023 it wasn't a growing again. Um, but the FMBs and um, fuck, what's the name? Am I having a stroke today? Do you smell toast? No. Okay. Because I was making some toast if you wanted some. Oh, perfect. I <laughs> uh, also worried that you can't smell toast, ironically, because it's the toaster's right there. It's going to go off any second. <laughs> Do I have COVID again? Uh, <laughs> fuck. I'm missing where the FMB is, section is. Well. Um, uh, ah. So it fell down to 40 from 90 good grief so it had a 50 point swing in one year for flavored malt beverage and hard seltzer which flavored malt beverage includes your pre-made canned cocktails which i don't know how this is shrinking with all the major liquor brands starting to get into doing that right um and I'm, 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 the so- popularity of ranch water last summer, Topo Chico getting into the market. I'm surprised it's that dramatic. I mean, I, I think I, I don't think it surprises either of us just from kind of existing in the market and watching how c- consumers are buying and, you know, and anecdotally from anecdotally or a word like that um, from uh, from retail stores and what have you. But that 
big Dramat- of a swing. Dramatic of a swing surprises me. And where, yeah, craft beer slowly receding, it's but still- it's it's holding pretty level. But remember, our le- I mean, it it fell a little bit during the pandemic, but after but after uh, uh, this last year, um, according it was to starting to come back, it was come up. back, come back up. So you can almost. You can almost attribute any drop in craft beer less to the, the the waning popularity of craft beer and more to just pandemic making it harder for people to. I was gonna say, and I don't think craft beer's growing. It's, I mean, it's not, holding. It's not growing with the. I mean, but well, I guess it depends on on how on how you want to interpret uh, the uh, the BA's numbers, but they. But I mean, there, there's a bigger. So this isn't BA numbers. I know, but I'm, okay. I'll, I was talking about when ta- when the BA numbers when it talks when oh. it talks about craft, their numbers that came out uh, uh, last month where mm-hmm. they showed, oh shit, it was like a they they are now 27 percent of the market up from 25. Yeah. Am I right? I was going to say, and the one thing these numbers don't take into account, they don't take into account self-distributing breweries, mm-hmm. breweries that only do tap room, and. They're looking just what's sold retail through a distributor. Correct, and so um, and so I, uh, you know, I interpret the B, BA's numbers um, as I mean, there's still growth. It's especially when you're considering that beer as a category is still falling slightly. Or am I wrong? They it, and on these numbers are they? It, it's falling slightly. Okay, as a total. Compared to last year, so but it is still in a growth category. But so total, it's above the fifty. So beer, I mean beer as a as a category is falling slightly, but craft beer is going up, which means craft beer is going up even more significantly than mm-hmm. than. And I think if you were to take a account in on the craft side of self distro, own premise only, all stuff like that. Uh, you would see that craft number probably tick up to 50, maybe 51, mm-hmm. uh, and be holding steady or a slight growth. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think I, holding steady is probably is probably a good assessment or slight, yeah. Or I was going to say, but in the retailer shelves, I feel there's still, I feel corporate buyers are still Stuck on the, we need hard seltzer, we need hard seltzer, we need hard seltzer. Now they're like, oh, fuck, we need flavor malt beverage. They're like, oh, well, they're, they're not really moving. Like, what do we do? We've got rid of craft beer in a lot of these sections to make room for these. What do we grab next? <laughs> and, and well, basically, the, the, uh, the, the, at this point in time, retailers or stores is going, what do you want from us? Just tell us what you want and we'll get it. Just... <laughs> Just get drunk on whatever. Just just tell us, God damn you. <laughs> well, Jeremy, we're hopping to the next beer here. The Plum Farmhouse. Plum Basil Farmhouse Ale. Nice color on it. Mm-hmm. Nice aroma, too. I get I, the basil's real prominent, which... Mm-hmm. I've I've actually worked with basil before, and it's it's tough to get you have to, to it's tough to get that uh, it's such a a a, um, a delicate herb um, that's hard to extract that uh, that kind of aroma, but you get get that a lot underneath the fruit on this one, which I'm I really not like. 
getting a ton of plum on this. Some. It's in the back. Um, like a little bit of caramel malt. Getting basil. a lot of that like basil herby. And I don't know if maybe I'm still just having a little leftover of the lemongrass saison. But no, definitely more herbal. And then you got that, you got a bit of a farmhouse funk in the back. Mm-hmm. But, no, not bad. I'm digging it. Yeah. All right. Jeremy, what do we got next? Millennials have killed the tap room news now. Of course, they killed Kagers a couple of years ago, and now they killed tap rooms. Actually, that's a lie, but I just wanted to see Tyler's eye twitch and get that kind of reaction. It's not really millennials, it's just a general thing. But I, I but Fucking hard seltzer. It's Gen Zers. <laughs> they want to drink their hard seltzer and twisted tea, and they want to just get off my lawn. <laughs> the idea of the beer, bar, or tap room... Is is fading a little bit, but millennials have had little to nothing to do with that, other than being being one of many people who are just not patronizing them as much as they used to. Um, this comes from the Willamette Weekly and is by Andy Pruitt. We've talked a lot about how breweries have fared during the pandemic. In fact, I think we talked about it pretty much nonstop for better part of a year and a half. <clears throat> <laughs> How are the, how will they do? How are they doing? How are they how are they how are they managing the shutdowns? How are they managing the reopenings? How are they do after that, etc., etc., etc. But we haven't talked quite as much about is how another craft beer business has been doing, namely the traditional beer bar slash tap room. In the heady days of craft beer, these were the mecca of the beer connoisseur. They were the one-stop shop for all things beer geek. Sure, you had your local breweries, and you had you had bars that also had craft beer on draft, but neither were anything like the beer bar. The formerly the, the former rightly only served beer that uh, they brewed themselves, and the latter had a few staples, Fat Tire, the local flagship IPA, maybe a porter if you got lucky, but the tap room, that's where you found the rare gems. The new breweries in town, the latest special releases, obscure imports. Um, some, of, some of them have... Some had a very few curated taps. Others had a truly ridiculous beer menu with as many as a hundred different taps. Fuck, when you went to some of these places, you had to order just a random beer to start because you might, you'll probably finish a beer just going through the menu before you figure out what the fuck you want to drink. I've been to those places. Yep. Where you just like, just bring me that, that beer right there. Just give me that beer right there. You scan the menu for something that you recognize and you're like, that one. Whether that, it's brewery or style, and you just go that, that that beer, that beer. I just need a I need a beer just to sit down with the menu, right? Um, the industry has grown a lot since then, and one of the things that seems to be slipping away is that part of the beer business. Um, I don't think we did a long story about it, but I feel like we mentioned the Falling Rock Tap Room in Denver closing a couple of years back. We did. Um... And I can't remember how much we covered on that. I think we just mentioned it. I don't... Uh, but I want to give a, my two cents real quick okay. before you go a little further. Um, I don't think beer bars necessarily have gone out of business. They've evolved and matured. So it's beer bars back in the day. Some served food, some didn't. More and more are starting to incorporate food just to hold people, do the pairings. And then more and more places are now expanding 
to add liquor in a dedicated cocktail program because, like we've mentioned, liquor and wine are faster growing categories right now than beer is. So they've basically said, we're still going to have all these killer beers that we can get, but we're not going to be only beer. We're going to start to pivot and work on curating this awesome food, start adding some cocktails for the people that are coming in here to have the food. Their friends want to have these this beer, but they're a liquor fan and starting to flow into that. I mean, becoming more of a, a destination bar. Restaurant. Restaurant, but as opposed to, I mean, there's that too. Um, Bailey's in downtown Portland went over under not too long ago as well. The article I found follows Alex and Sean uh, Cornelis, who operated Imperial Tap Room and Bottle Shop in Portland as well, uh, who enjoyed such such success in the early years that their business uh, that when their business opened that they opened a second location, but due to the slump in businesses along with personal illnesses, um, they ended up closing one and are now holding tight to the other. Um, COVID didn't help, but the article mentions that a number of factors were working against this business model even before the pandemic made things extra rough. Um, first, there is the overall decline in beer sales, which we just kind of mm-hmm. talked about a little bit. Um, although craft beer did increase, it came with increased competition. Um, and as like I said, we, we, we just talked about the numbers. The, the numbers are improving, but always remember that um, I don't know how many breweries have been added during last year or the previous year, but I mean, you're talking about, I mean, they grabbed an extra 2%, but that's now split among an extra 10,000 breweries. Yeah. Um, not quite that many in a year, but but like 2000 breweries a year extra. But yeah, I mean, these did, I mean, we're talking about, we're still talking about double digit closures and quadruple digit openings. Mm Mm-hmm. And the increased competition is where a lot of this is felt because whereas drinking has gone down and craft beer has remained steady, the numbers of places to have a craft beer have gone way up. And the interesting thing, according to Bart Watson of the BA, their economist, um, quote, the number of places to drink alcohol have increased in recent decades, but the number of places that specifically focus on drinking have declined. Americans have turned generally turned to more experiential drinking, by which he means... Beer is everywhere. Now you can have a pint at a movie theater. You can buy a can while doing laundry or enjoy an IPA while doing your grocery shopping. Beer is everywhere. And not just beer, good locally made craft beer. Mm-hmm. And I think that also kind of plays into what I had brought up. I the mean, r- beer bars now transforming more to a I'd restaurant. Say, and the, I'd say that's kind of where what you what, what you brought up does take hold, which is where... Uh, where well, I mean, it's kind of gone. It's kind of gone both ways. Not only have beer bars expanded to in- include like specialty cocktails and wine, and but really everywhere's a beer bar now. But yeah, but conversely, the really nice restaurants and the cocktail lounges have incre- like, oh, we also have this. This uh, uh, we have. We may only have four taps, but instead of Coors Light, Miller Light, Bud Light, Budweiser, it's now local beer, local beer, regional beer, regional beer. Um, and a lot of the places um, are kid-friendly, whereas your old-fashioned tap room was historically not. Which, now that I've got a little one around, preview of coming attractions, Tyler, <laughs> that does factor highly into my decision on where to grab a beer. I know one of my favorite beer bars in town, they're 
dog friendly but not kid friendly because they don't serve food so i looked at the owner and i was like so if i dress my newborn child up like a dog and put it in a like make the car seat look like a kennel and go it's a dog bark bark can i come in with my soon-to-be daughter and he goes you're gonna get me in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing was, I was when I was reading this, I remember I was having a a, a conversation with the new uh, the new rep for Wallace Brewing. Wallace Brewing is a uh, is a is a cool little brewery up in uh, northern Idaho. In Wallace, Idaho. In Wallace, Idaho. Appropriately enough, um, but the thing about Wallace, Idaho, is you, that you have to know is that is that it's an old mining town, but more than that. It was the place where the miners went to go get to go have fun. Meaning, it's known for booze and prostitution. In fact, their brothel ran up until the '80s in Idaho. Longer than that, I found out. It was mid '80s, but it still ran it. It still ran in some in 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 in, uh, in some capacity up till the year 2000. Oh, I uh, actually someone from Wallace Brewing told me that that uh, that uh, that they were still uh, uh, there was a couple places still. Running that business as late as 2000. Okay. Which, because uh, I, I remember 2000, because I'm like, wait a minute, I was 18 in 2000. I could have gone up and gotten a whore in northern Idaho. <laughs> so, but also, the whole town is a his, declared a historical monument. And I was in a conference where the chief of police, or the head of Idaho Alcohol Beverage Control was there. And... The owner of Wallace Brewing was there. And he's brought up something. He's like, yeah, he's like, we all hate Wallace. Uh, and the owner starts laughing. He goes, for those of you that don't know, because in the state of Idaho, uh, liquor licenses are divvied out based on one per X amount of residents in that county. Wallace is the exception to the rule. <laughs> Almost every bar in Wallace has liquor. They don't have that many people. No, they don't. No. Uh, so they, like, ABC looks at it and goes, you guys are way over the limit, but you all got it before we put that limit in place, and so you were grandfathered in and passing back and forth to, if you're closing a bar, you renew your liquor license and transfer it, mm-hmm. not let it die, and then it can't be brought back. And so... The state of Idaho is basically like, God damn it, Wallace, you drunk motherfuckers. Uh, let us take some of these back. Listen, um, I, there's, a, there's a lot of, of, uh, about Idaho in the news uh, uh, lately. And let me just say, we come by it honestly. We've always been this crazy. My point of bringing up Wallace was, is I was talking to the, uh, uh, to the sales guy. And he was, you know, and as they tend to do, like, hey, have you ever been up to a brewery? You should come up sometime. And I said, I said, yeah, actually, that'd be fun. And I said, uh, I got a little one now. Um, um, what's your What's your policy on children? And he kind of got real cagey. And he goes, um, so I don't know if you're aware of this. And he kind of went into a little bit of history. I'm like, I'm aware. He goes, so like we got like Playboy magazines and like pinup pictures. And, and we're kind of celebrating the brothel history. I'm like, I get it. I get it. It's not. <laughs> yeah, kid will stay in the hotel. Uh you know, I, I I get it. There 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 are there are places where kids are welcome, and there are places where they are not. Yes, and that's fine. I get it. It does, but it does influence my decision. <laughs> Unfortunately, it may be a decade before I can uh, uh, make it up to Wallace Brewing. But I do definitely. I've never. I've been to Wallace, but I've not been to Wallace Brewing. So oh, really? Like, 
It is bit. It is on. It, Wallace it, is a fun time. It's a beautiful area. They do a big beer festival. We should go up to one day, where it's basically all the downtown like Wallace bars and that do a big bar crawl. Keep a keep those uh, uh, good times in mind, Tyler, because they're about to go away for you. Um, anyway, a little bit of a sidetrack. Um, that's this is why we were so efficient when we were sober, right, dude? Um, but also, I feel part of this is kind of kind of to double back a little uh, part of the struggle with craft beer is you also and the beer bar is you also have the meteoric rise right now of non-alcoholic options you have that um it also cites um brewery owned satellite tap rooms making another sizable debt in the market it used to be very rare for a brewery to have more than one location Oh. And now, shit, half more than half the breweries here in town have a second location, whereas in a city like Boise, and you can only have two in Idaho. Yeah, they were they're kind of dotted dotted all over. Tap, you know, they're dotted all over. Taproom served as kind of a gathering place, especially if located downtown. But if every brewery has their satellite location in downtown, they take up a portion of the market, and not only that, they don't have to buy their beer from a distributor. So they can charge less, or more likely charge the same amount and keep a much larger share of the profits. So that so that uh, uh, that market in the you know in like downtown Boise is really the you know place where the kids go to have fun these days. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that that market is increasingly divided, and breweries that have a satellite location down there got an advantage. Mm-hmm. But the, a lot of them, if they were previously selling. I think we had brought this up. We saw a podcast on Good Beer Hunting where they talked about this in Chicago. Uh, if they previously had a lot of outside sales in that downtown market and then open a downtown tap room, all of a sudden those sales are gone because you're now seen as a competitor. Correct. There is you, you're, There is that. But if you didn't have a lot of sales down there, then what are what's the loss there? Like I know I well, talked about, w- about this with my employer. I was like, "Hey, when we were talking about a second location for our brewery, I was like, let's go to Coeur d'Alene, get a spot in downtown Coeur d'Alene. We already don't sell a ton up there, but you open a fucking killer tap room in downtown Coeur d'Alene." Coeur d'Alene being another city in northern Idaho, just yes. to clear things up for anybody who's uh, we sometimes right on Lake Coeur d'Alene. People from Washington and Montana come over. People, it's a tourist trap town. People, people uh, uh, stop in Coeur d'Alene to front load before they go to Wallace. Yes, uh, <laughs> right on the lake, beautiful area. I was like, you do that. Yeah, home of the floating green. Yep. If that that's the yes. There's if there's you're a, a golfer. There's a there's a there's a actually a pretty famous golf course that has a floating green that the Coeur d'Alene Resort. Yes. So it's they don't control where it's at. It's hooked to a chain at the bottom, and so depending on the currents of the lake, it's either 90 or 110 yards away. Of course you would know that. <laughs> I've played the course. I've ne- I've only, I'm only aware of it. I've never uh, played it. So, but I was like, we should do that instead. Yeah, it's going to be a little more of a logistical headache, and, but we're really not sacrificing a ton of sales by opening that second tap room. Uh Eventually, we did not. We found another location here in the valley, but we purposely but good... avoided 
but downtown a, Boise. But a good location, by the yes. way. I think there you got there's some brilliance into where you're opening the 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 tap room because it's completely underserved. Yeah, and it's a it's a spot where you kind of look around and you go. How has nobody opened up a brewery? This look at these hipster motherfuckers. They're all over the place. They're chomping at the bit for something. <laughs> but There's, every third person has a beard, and that doesn't. That's not just the men. Uh huh. And <laughs> our one big thing was not downtown. We're like we sell too much downtown through our distributor to justify burning bridges. But I mean, you also. I mean, if you if your sales downtown don't. Uh, decrease or don't increase decrease that much you know then you're not paying a distributor to to essentially bring them downtown for you um a quote from uh Cornella's in the article uh quote if you opened up a beer bar anywhere in 2010 you were going to be guaranteed successful craft beer was something special and cool and new and hard to get it became ubiquitous so you you lost that so is this it? The end of the tap house? The end of 57 fucking beers on draft? Maybe a series of coolers with those rare finds and oddball releases? Well, yes and no. Um, the consensus seems to be that craft beer alone can't be the draw anymore. Um, kind of like what you hinted at. Like, you're going to have to diversify. Saying we serve craft beer is a bit like saying we serve beer full stop. Whoop, whoop de fucking do for you. Um, I've got a couple points I want to argue on this. But okay, um, but even continue. The, but even the idea of rotating taps, which has been more than a staple, uh, it was it was the business model for the longest time. Even the idea of that is fading slightly. I was reading a couple of articles; they're mostly talking about your average bar or restaurant. But even still, they were advising people to ditch all the rotating taps and find a few really good sellers that people like and stick with them. Um, and let's face it, a joint with a hundred different taps is always going to be a dubious proposition because even if that place is jumping all the time, packed wall to wall, do the math. That yep. means some beers are going to be sticking around a while and you won't know it until you're the sad sod that ordered it. Mm-hmm. Um, 20 taps. My, my point is you've got to have another reason for people to come in, come in the door. Um, one tap room, also in Portland, uh, called Neighbors, uh, gave their joint kind of a coffee shop vibe. Uh, light pink walls, coffee as well as beard, a, a beer, a metric fuckload of plants, and a completely vegan menu. Uh, the owner notes that you'll never find a beer that with lactose in their place. Um, they become a watering hole for a lot of lo- loyal customers. But on the flip side, uh, 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 Nubellus Tap Room in Beaverton is a lot more like a crafty, independent version of Buffalo Wild Wings. Um, at 3,500 square feet, they're able to host sports watch parties, concerts, as well as spending up to 20 hours a week tracking down the hardest to find rare beers. To quote the owner there, we focus on high end, hard to get beer. We want people to come here, look at the board of 48 beers and be like, oh, I've never heard of 24 of those. Um, and in the end, the Cornelis takes a rather optimistic look at the future of this neighborhood staple saying there are beer bars that are hundreds of years old in Europe. I can't imagine Belmont Station or Beer Mongers not being there, um, both Portland craft beer staples. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think with a saturated market, beer bars need to find a niche. And if you're if you're a new beer bar, you're going to have to do something to appeal to bring people in. Which, so, one sidebar real quick. I'd be curious to see how like the success of beer bars is doing across the country because Oregon is going to be kind of that front end of the bullwhip. They're, they're going to see the highs higher. They're going to see the lows lower. Mm-hmm. They are 
one of craft beer's meccas. Uh, more importantly, the article then kind of tied back in where we were talking, you can't get away with just serving beer alone. You can't I, get away with just doing beer alone. You have to have something else. I was going to say, which uh, initially when you said it, I was thinking, oh, you got to add liquor. No. Because I was going to say, you can get away with doing that, but you have to serve the right group of customers. You need I can think of a couple bars in town. Yardarm being specific, one of them. It's a local shipping container beach bar with a boat that is the taco truck parked right. permanently. They're only open during the summers. It's it's an experience going down there. Handlebar, downtown Boise, where it's very bike-centric, eclectic. And the owner is just a beautiful maniac who comes yes. up... I mean, the uh, 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 I love that guy because he's almost... He's Willy Wonka-esque. Yes. The... I, <laughs> He comes up with these ideas. The 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 my favorite and biggest one that he does every year is like Beach, Beach Week, where he literally trucks in and covers the entire bar with sand, cranks up the heat, and in this is this is in the dead of winter, by the way. This is yes. January. Um, he cr- February at the latest, usually. Yeah, uh, and he. And he and he just covers the entire place with sand, cranks up the heat, invites people to come in in sandals, shorts, and everything else. And it's... You'll see people in, like, a big fucking winter jacket running. And then as soon as they get in, they're in shorts and a t-shirt. And, and it's fucking brilliant. And I can't imagine the cleanup that has to go in the end of that. Oh, it's... <laughs> he has to spend a day or two, after he gets all the sand out, re-epoxying the floor. I have no doubt that it's... Uh, but the beer can't be the draw. It that's the point. Your your theme of your bar and the peop, your core customers you serve have to be the draw. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if you want to only go beer and wine or just beer, I mean you, you can do that in a in a place like Idaho that you're sometimes forced to do that as you're. As you, as we hinted at, kind of accidentally, um, our liquor laws make sometimes serving hard alcohol, I mean, expensive if not just impossible. impossible. I mean, there there are situations where it literally does not matter how much money you have, there are no liquor licenses for any price. They just don't exist. Mm-hmm. So everyone who has it doesn't want to get rid of it. Right. So you're S O L J W F. Shit out of luck and jolly well fucked. Yep. But. I don't know. I think the beer bar, the tap house is evolving. I mean, look at pre-funk downtown switch to Matlax and kind of started that evolving. I mean, outside of you got your like bottle shop, homebrew supply stores. Well, yeah, you've got your beer bars at, qu- like quickly, pre-funk and that. Quickly touch on that. I mean, pre-funk downtown was like the quintessential beer bar in Boise. Mm-hmm. They switched, they reduced their taps by, well, how many taps do they have? What, 30, 40? I think over 40. 40? Um, they, they reduced it down to 10 or 12. Ooh. I think they might be at like 16. Okay. I mean, but but drastically reduced, mm-hmm. um, nicely curated, serve wine now, um, have a, have a, have nice... some TVs in there, have food, which was, the, I, that, that was always the thing. I always appreciated pre-funk for not having TVs, but that's just me. But, yes, but, 
but it's also but it's also more of a like it's more of a bistro vibe yes as opposed to a beer bar and by the way now kids are now people can bring their kids in which is was because what, it serves food because it serves food and and by the way it's a you know a, a, it's at a nice spot in downtown Boise with a little, mm-hmm. with a nice little patio now i mean you also got like hops and bottles where they're a straight up bottle shop but they are also known as like the dog bar in downtown Boise uh-huh where there's other bars that allow dogs but i mean their two mascots are basically the owner's two dogs well, and I think, and I think, his busiest day every year is one of his dogs' birthday party. And I think the, and I think the, I think the article is well. the The point is well made. I mean, there are places that still can survive doing just beer, but I mean, that's got to be you've got to have that built in. You've and you've got to have the right business plan. I mean, you can't you can't go into it now. I mean, if you if you're if I, I think the point is is if you're like I'm gonna I'm gonna start a business we're gonna do craft beer only craft beer we're gonna have fifty taps and all this you might you might as well just you might as well give up now it's just not I mean prime example is the place you used to work at beforehand <laughs> uh, which changed owners uh, I was uh, I, I was uh, informed and I wish them the best of luck and I hope they can dial that into the right people and find their niche. But until it happens, I'm not holding my breath. I'm abstaining any opinion on. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, and I have no opinion of anything about that. Um, <laughs> uh, what do you got for us? Well, fun little promotion. Actually, hold on. We got into the African Queen, but we didn't talk about the African oh, Queen. Yes. We need to talk about the African Queen because of the Seven Seas. Your Falconer's Flight, uh, Jeremy. You want to give a little rundown on what Seven Seas slash Falconer's Flight is? Uh, I forget the entire story, but it's a hop blend of seven, seven different sea hops, or you know, Northwest hop, um, Cascade, Chinook, Columbus, etc., etc., etc. It was uh, the blend was uh, made in honor of uh, one of the founders of YC8 or, y, or Yakima Valley. I can't remember. Uh, it was one of the founders of one of the biggest hop companies. I want, I, I'm going to say, I'm going to limit. I, I want to say it's Yakima Valley hops. Um, you can write us at uh, at uh, 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 it's all beer at gmail.com if you want to tell me I'm wrong. But I must say it's Yakima Valley Hops. It was the founder um, was besides uh, uh, starting a hop company um, was also uh, into falconry, and so uh, uh, when when he passed, yeah, during, after his untimely death, um, they came up with this hop blend because he was very much a at the forefront of the hop industry as we know it. Because I mean. He he, uh, uh, he, uh, he did a lot to cultivate Cascade, Chinook, mm-hmm. um, and all these, a bunch of hop varieties that are now almost passe, but at the time led the way in American craft beer. But honestly, when done with some of the newer hops, just pair so perfectly that they're just, you're like, oh, I forgot Cascade is a great hop. Like, and this is nice. I think it's a, mm-hmm. I think it's a really good, um, it, uh, a solid IPA. A, a solid West Coast, um, despite being made in Maryland. Um, uh, um, so far, my favorite of the bunch. I was going to say, it's my favorite of the bunch. Moder- but also, like I said, I'm a Falconer's Flight. Moderate bitterness, nice citrusy flavor, uh, good floor. I mean, it's, it's got it's got that, that, that Pacific Northwest sea hop flavor mm-hmm. really well. And it really nice. It's, you know, and it's, finishes smooth not super dry but the right amount of sweetness on that back end yeah 
Um, a little bit malty, but, you know, I mean, listen, he's getting it dialed in. Drew, you're, you're doing good work. <laughs> yeah, nice job, man. Um, well, up next, uh, Wild Goose is doing a fun new promotion right now. Uh, if you're going, what the fuck is Wild Goose? It's the canning line that most people use in craft beer. They are kind of known as, like, the craft canning line. Um, they have uh, a system on there. It's as close as what they make to what a just hand October can seamer would be. Um, it is you're loading each one in and it's automatically sealing it for you when you start the button. It's called their Gosling system. It can run from 8 ounce all the way up to 32 ounce cans. Because I joked around when we were buying the October can seamer during the pandemic <laughs> for the crawlers. Uh, I was like, let's just buy a Gosling instead uh, just so we can do these one-off sizes. Uh, the owners looked at the price and said, no, Tyler. Um, <laughs> you get that a lot in your, yeah, in your career, don't you? <laughs> it never registers. Uh, dream the impossible dream, my friend. Uh, 49 no's and one yes still means yes. Uh, <laughs> uh yeah, no, yes, go. <laughs> as long as the last yes is, the last one is yes, then you win. Uh, no, it's. I mean, it depends on who that yes comes from. If it's, yes. If it's you, then you're no better off than when you started. So, um, Wild Goose decided they were going to uh, do a fun little promotion. So the Gosling can do about 750 cans per hour. Not a lot. Um, and... With this here, they decided they were going to release a fun little video uh, to try to get some customers to upgrade to some of their higher-end products that'll help them kind of grow into it and uh, be able to can more of their product offerings uh, with what they're calling a flyback. So um, if you watch the video and know the secret handshake you can get a significant discount uh by returning your gosling um and per that gosling will be credited towards whatever canning line of wild goose you actually decide to purchase so you can upgrade from your gosling where it's a lot of manual steps to a more automated canning line that can do 40 cans a minute or 20 cans a minute and really just kind of turn and burn sweet through that um if you get a chance the article actually has the video it's pretty funny take a chance to watch it uh it's colorado beer dudes making a video so we'll we'll throw up a link on our twitter feed and uh i'll probably even put it up on facebook too just so, if anyone here uh, has a Gosling and are listening and haven't heard about it, maybe time to upgrade and uh, I mean, this is put the, on your big boy boots. This is the time to do it, I, I, I feel. Uh, uh, Tyler, do you have anything else for us today? Uh, the only thing I have left is uh, Chris McGinnis. You know what I'm saying? Cut the check. Do it. <laughs> 
And I will, I will leave it to uh, uh, the rest of you to figure out what the hell that means. I'll probably ask it later, but or maybe I'll just like the mystery. Anyway, this has been yeah, it's all beer. Um, if you uh, uh, want to get a hold of us, uh, we post all the articles we make, we 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 use to make this podcast on Twitter. Um, it's all beer one. It's mostly just a lot of news articles and me occasionally getting into a, a Twitter fight with the uh, founder of Food Beer Hunting. Um, did that once, but I'm going to kind of bank on it. No, oh, dude, that, that is our claim to fame. Twitter is kind of useful for that, just getting into getting into random fights with celebrities. It's the only reason they exist. I'm, I'm, hey, like I said, if modern times could pop by AB and Biff, that is going on my <laughs> resume. Uh, we're on Instagram and Facebook. I post uh, pictures there and random things. Um, uh, look for at It's All Beer. Uh, we're on. We've got the emails. We do have email, finally. Uh... We just got it. No, I'm, I'm lying. We, I was we, like, I thought we had it for a while. I either you were lying or listen. I, I, I had a fever dream. I actually, I, I, I got, I got something to tell you, Tyler. I've actually just figured out actually how to post podcasts this last week. So this is actually kind of our initial one. This is the first one that's going out in the world. So uh, uh, <laughs> that's a lie because I've listened to at least one of them. Um, it's all beer at gmail.com. And actually, that that is a lie. We actually uh, just finished our 100th episode. We're at 101 today. Whoop, um, whoop. And uh, and with more to come. And if you are enjoying this podcast, you can leave a review on Spotify or iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Um, which is apparently everywhere but Facebook because uh, our brief, uh, our brief uh, podcast uh, uh, presence on Facebook is going down soon. It had literally no effect. It, oh. But it, it was it kind of adorable. Facebook decided there were going to be a, a podcast platform as well. So I'm like, oh, okay, let's try that. It was confusing as fuck. I got us on there, and it did literally nothing. So um, uh, fuck you, Facebook. But we're also on Facebook. Just you have to go somewhere else to download our podcast, which you should do. Um and you obviously have done if you were listening to this. So, um, well done. Um, and that'll be quite enough from us. I'm Jeremy Jones. I'm Tyler Zimmerman. I'm going to have a beer. Have fun. All right. This is how I do headlines. This is how I do headlines. That's this a lie. I'm going to move towards like more NPR um, format. Are you going to just try to do the stripper whisper? I'm just going to try to do this, yeah. I'm just going to talk about this this has been. I'm going to castrate you. Okay. Okay. Let's let's fire this. You won't be able to tell because my voice doesn't actually change. So uh, with or without a balls, um, I will talk like this. Yeah, because you're a bitch. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Why are we whispering to each other? I don't know. I started doing it and then you followed me (laughs) like a bitch. (laughs) Ha 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 ha!